Okay. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. I'm Brad. And we are podcasting live from Rubber Track Studio in beautiful Williamsburg, Brooklyn. We're podcasting today in black and white. In black and white. So. Um, I just had a juice that was green, and it was $8. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Feel good. It was actually it a lot of fiber, so it was very filling. It was a prefab. Yeah. Off the shelf. Well... Yeah, but I think it was like it was made in town. It was expired next month. I think but you was, know, vegetable juices after twenty minutes they start to lose their potency. Oh yeah, you're right. You got to eat that shit while it's alive, man. You're right. I guess I kind of blew it. It's probably better than a Coke. <laughs> well, it costs about the same as a Coke, so <laughs> I hope so. Uh, anyways, uh, hey. Hey. How you doing, man? It's good to see you. I'm good. I, uh, yeah, we haven't done this in a little while, it feels like. I don't know. It just, just always seems too long when you're away. Yeah. Have I been away? No. <laughs> I don't even, I can't even remember where I, where I was. Like, do you ever feel people are like, what did you do last weekend? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I wasn't even drunk. I just don't remember anything. Yeah, what did you do? I told you what I did this weekend. Mm. Oh, wait, you told me you went to the last SNL. Uh... Oh, yeah, SNL finale. Uh, Fred Armisen, great job. F- former former Going Off Track host, Fred Armisen yeah. hosted. I think it's the first time we've ever been able to say one of our <laughs> guests hosted Saturday Night Live. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Big day for us. Only like 210 <laughs> episodes in. <laughs> Someone we had in the podcast three years ago hosted us in home. <laughs> we got to get Fred back in here. He's, uh, he's so awesome. He's the best. Yeah, well, we decided that because we didn't really, well, whatever. He's got a lot to say, you know. You gonna move the mic? There we go. Yeah. Did you hear that? Did you guys hear? Yeah. Oh my mic? god. Yeah. I touched, I touched <laughs> the mic. <laughs> Tantamount to like adultery with Brad. Uh, yeah. If you haven't listened to it, go back listen to the podcast with Fred. It's great. It starts with him playing a drum solo. Oh yeah. In the rehearsal room. That was really cool. We sh- we'll get Fred back on. Um, yeah. I'll make it happen. Uh, so yeah, that was my weekend. Check that out. It's available on Hulu. <laughs> Uh, anyways, today in the podcast, we have another very, very, very funny man, uh, Keith Buckley, singer for Every Time I Die, uh, who's another guy we've been trying to get in the podcast for years. Me and him worked together on the Alternative Press Awards last year. He did the red carpet interviews. It was amazing. And, uh, last summer he told me he was working on a book and guess what? What? The book's out now. All right, well, then we should release his podcast. We should, so that's why we're doing this. Uh, he was in town promoting the book. He actually was in town just for a day, I think, and he went to, uh, he came on the podcast, and then he did a reading at St. Vitus that night with Scott Ian, who, his former bandmate from The Damn Things with former Going Off Track guest Joe Troman. Interesting. And, yeah, Keith read, a li- talked a little, actually, actually got there late and missed Keith's whole performance, <laughs> but then Scott Ian talked for a really long time, which was very interesting. And uh, this book is called Scale. It's available now um, from Rare Bird. It's Rare Bird Books released it, but you can get it anywhere you buy books. And uh, it's about this guy Ray Goldman, um, a thirty-four year old, thirty-one year old guitar player seeking fulfillment in the wake of a life-altering tragedy. While the even chapters seem reflecting on the dep- depravity and selfishness that hastened his descent toward it. It's about the relationship between instability and balance, death and resurrection, perception and reality, but ultimately is about the endless war waged between our disquieted minds and our noble hearts. And it said fans of pop culture, Americana, punk rock music, and Charles Bukowski's Ham on Rye. 
Uh, so that's I, that's Jonah reading. That's me reading his press release. Yeah, <laughs> sorry to memorize it. I've read, but I have read part of the book, and it's like I said to Keith, like this this sounds so patronizing, but like I was saying to Keith, it's like it's a real book. It's not like tour stories right. or like I mean, it's like Keith, as you know, like Keith is the kind of guy that like reads Voltaire at like the merch booth. He's a very well read, smart person, and this is like a real. A real book like it's i read it and i was like holy shit this guy you're is, saying it's a literature it's literature it's like literature. it's it's really impressive um and it was a lot of work and it's it's one of those things where it sounds like a cool idea but to actually like follow through and make it a reality and like it's cool it's not just like a typical rock memoir it's really impressive so if you like any of that kind of any of that sounds good to you just buy it support keith um this podcast was also very crazy because uh Keith recently had a child born super prematurely. So did our guest host, Benny. Um, I think at 20, Benny was at 27 weeks. Keith was at 30. And they talked a lot about that experience. And I, Stephen was on this one too, thankfully. And I sort of butted out and sort of let them talk because it's a, they're really good friends. They kind of helped each other through the situation. And uh, it's really, really intense, but like story with a happy ending. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, without without belaboring this anymore, belaboring. But... Oh boy, you got it. There it was. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, Keith Buckley. It's going on. Now I smell you. Smell nice. <laughs> you just got it. You know, I didn't. I was actually going to apologize for how I might smell today. You did shower? I brought deodorant with me in my bag. I recocked my tub. Oh, I got to do that. Yesterday. I have to do that in my our new house. Yeah. yeah. How'd it, it go? Okay. Yeah. Needs a little cleaning up once it dries. Yeah. You know, caulking goes. Oh, yeah. But it's such an art. I feel like I get better every time. You do. You, that's one thing you get better with yeah. every time. you And you don't know how you're getting better. You just die. You're just getting better. There's just less caulk all over the place exactly. when you're dying. Exactly. Yeah. You do, you're not doing anything yeah. consciously to change your right. approach. It just, just happens to get better. starts to happen. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a crafty type of thing. You need yeah, a steady hand. But it's hand. like the caulk respects you after a while. That's true. Or is it the fact that <laughs> once you have time with it, your confidence level makes you own yeah, the caulk that could be a, a little bit. That could be it. So, right. what are we... We're introing here yeah, about caulking bathtubs. Yeah. All right. Uh, here Jonah, can, yes. I, can I take a swing here? And Absolutely. How many tubs have you caulked? Zero. Zero tubs? I'm a renter, bro. <laughs> that first caulk is a, oh, it's a monumental occasion. It is, it is yeah. pretty bad. And yeah. apparently... I, I bought the smelliest caulk in the world. Oh, yeah. Because it smells like someone just poured a bottle of vinegar <laughs> in my upstairs for the last like two days. Keith, are you you a homeowner? Yeah. We um we just sold our house uh, and we put a bit on another one in the same same week. And uh, yeah, so we did the home inspection in the new one and it, uh, it needs, a, I got to caulk the top. Couple caulking. I, I, I want to be a home inspector. I like that racket of walking in going, yeah, that looks good. Oh, and, you, you know what? You think it's a racket until you meet a guy who knows everything about everything in any house. It's a, it, I, it's, it's I, like, I've met those guys, but they weren't my fucking home inspector. Those uh, are the guys that fixed the shit that he said was fine. No, I had a guy, <laughs> I had a guy take me through. It was like a, it was like a, I was in class. He was telling me about everything about the new home. It was awesome. And then he did my home that we're selling and uh, he found that our roof uh, was, it didn't pass inspection. And this is less than a year after we got a new roof. 
Hey. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah, the roofer oh. is actually texting me as we speak right now because uh, we're trying to take him to court. That's Yikes. fun. Yeah. yeah. Do you find it fun when no. you're <laughs> in the middle of tour somewhere weird and you have to field a phone call about something being fucked up with your house? Oh, it's isn't the that best. the best thing yeah, ever? It's the best. Or your wife is going into labor. Oh, <laughs> that yeah, that one. Too. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that old. Yeah, the the one with the house is just. It was always the the roof was leaking. So then we're like, all right, let's just bite the bullet, get a brand new roof, and uh, we did. And then it didn't uh, pass the inspection. So. Yeah, sucks. It's a lot different than day beers, huh? Oh my god, so much. Remember the days of touring when you could just crack some day beers. And everything would go away. <laughs> and it didn't matter. All problems. And it, and it wasn't just that you ignored problems. It was that, like, when the universe heard you crack that first beer, it was like, I'm going to leave him alone. Yeah. Everything's cool. We're cooling I, off. I, yeah. I, we got it. Yeah. We got this. Maybe the, the universe was almost cracking day beers with you. That's true. Kinda. When like, you're younger, you just, the universe cracks them with you. You were just setting the tone. Yeah. When you're older, <laughs> it, it, it waits to hear that crack. And that's like, sure oh, wait does. a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Do this, do this. And you know what emits from the from the the carbon now? Uh, Guilt. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, you have better things to do. Yeah, that's what that's what comes out of that's the why I actually I just recently stopped drinking. I, I just hit my two month mark because it was that it was I would drink and not enjoy it because I'd be like something bad is going to happen. <laughs> I know something bad is going to happen. I'm going to have to be straight for this, and I can't be. So it was I was oscillating between not drinking enough to actually have fun or drinking so much that I felt bad and had to cover up how drunk I was, mm. which is just pointless. Why That's do that? It's a bit of task a bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so I just gave it up. It's much easier. Keith, I, Keith, I don't know if you remember this, but you were part of one of my favorite Jonah Bayer moments at uh, the Warp Tour years ago. What was it? Um, I think I was talking with uh, uh, you, you, and, you and your lady, whose, mm-hmm. whose name I, I forget. Pardon uh, me. Lindsay, I believe. Um, what do you say? I think it's Lindsay. Oh, okay. There yeah, you go. I reckon. <laughs> um, and uh, all of a sudden, I turn around and Jonah was standing there uh, wearing an Iron Man mask. And he just said very confidently, hey, it's Iron Man. Just flew in. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a – where was that? That was Warped Tour, like, like Long Island. It was where you, you smashed our friend Annie's camera. She yeah, asked smashed- Jonah to hold her bag. And he went, you mean like this? And just tossed it. <laughs> That's I had to pay hundred dollars to get it fixed. I yeah. also got cut off from the open bar there. You uh, did. I was under a tent, right? I, yes. It, oh, I remember yes. that. I remember that warped tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I saw that happen. I was standing there. That was pretty amazing. Because like the bartenders were like seemed like they were like volunteer moms or something. Oh yeah, it was like the the reverse daycare where they take <laughs> yeah. the parents and put them in a tent, and then they're just like, oh, here's some alcohol to give away. <laughs> yeah, and like skewers of meat too. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being like, okay, cool. Well, I have yeah. like thirty friends in this tent. Someone's gonna get me a beer. Yeah. And yeah. then I like got one and like drank it in front. Like I thought I was such a badass. Yeah. <laughs> really cool moment. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Uh, it was beautiful. Uh, I love the Iron Man moment, though. Yeah, yeah, there were. Yeah, it's well played. Felt right. Yeah, I wish we, you it, did some it, of these like masked. I know you find the mustache <laughs> to be disguising in general. It is. But, is any part of this on film? Is this like visual at all? No, sadly, no. Okay. no. We have just to paint pictures with our mouths. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and actually, and actually, just to point out, the video connection cut off, so I'm just hearing you guys. So oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. Steven, great. you should you should have just... Can you do me a favor and potentially not say what you think I'm wearing, but say what you would like me to be wearing? Yeah, in an ideal world, what is he wearing right now? Yeah. 
Oh my God, what I want Benny to be wearing? Yeah. Yes. Oh God, I have been waiting so long for this. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know how um, people would say, hey, Kool Aid, and Kool Aid Man would just come smashing mm-hmm. in? Uh huh. Yeah. That costume, but just with your head exposed. <laughs> like coming up out of the Kool-Aid? Out of the drink? Yeah, out of, out of the Kool-Aid. is. So it's like, it's not but a costume still in the of picture, the Kool-Aid. Right? Yeah, exactly. So okay. it's not a costume of Kool-Aid Man. Okay. It's a costume of Benny Horowitz in a picture of Kool-Aid that happens to be Kool-Aid Man. Okay. I like it. Yeah, because the Kool-Aid Man's face is essentially submerged in the liquid. <laughs> yeah, he's drowning. That's it. Yeah. And, if you, <laughs> and you don't know if his face is is the liquid or if it's the jar, because if it's the jar, that's fine. But if it's the liquid, he fills that up to a picnic of thirsty kids and like he's, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, See, my fear here, though, Stephen, is if I'm popping out of the top of a pitcher, wouldn't my head just look like an odd <laughs> chemical reaction? Or something like that. Yeah, like, it would look like at the end of Terminator, like where he just he's, there's, there's a part of him still. Yeah, and then he just he would just have to left. vanish eventually. There's no way he could keep it above. I mean, some things have to be open to interpretation from the viewer. This definitely is not one of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so Benny, do you have any notes for today? Benny always takes tons of notes. Benny said he had a list, and I I know that he like I, we're friends outside yeah, of this, obviously, but are. I know that he was feeling he was like testing waters out there while we were waiting to come in here. I think well, yeah, was. there was a couple things because there's you know there's some stuff. A guy like Keith, I got a feeling what's pretty well worn territory, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. so I actually have a good way for us to segue. I'm going to ban the list. Okay. Me and Keith have talked about this before. Excuse so me. first, we're going to start it. There's a reason I came in here with a very Jewy Zabar's bag. And it's because I have many things. One of which oh. is a gift oh. from my wife and I to you and your wife and your little oh, babe. Oh, this is great. Thank you. you. got some... I know you can't see it, but uh, it's a... It's yeah. a bag of marijuana. <laughs> Get them started, That's so man. so nice. Oh, uh, it's a little elephant. Oh, this is adorable. Thank you. It's this a little love. And some... And they're up to 12 months. They're little baby great. socks. Thank you guys so much. Zeke loves uh, his little blanket like that. He yeah. holds it all the time. He awesome. finds great comfort in it. So. Oh, this is great. Thank you so much. Keith, so, how, how, how old is yours and, and uh, boy or girl? Uh, she's a girl. Her name is Zuzana. And she was born on November 30th, but it was premature, very premature. So her adjusted age is three months. Uh, so she's five months old, but uh, three months developmentally, I guess is what they say. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So they uh, actually, yeah, just yesterday we had her first developmental test and she actually tested right on par for three months old. Awesome. And uh, f- tested as a five month old for intelligence, which is great. Her mm-hmm. language is is uh, is a little ahead of the game. So I feel like weird that she'd be a talker. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and how, how are her percentage? Jonah, Jonah, get comfy, buddy. Just yeah, listen. yeah, it's cool. I got um, plenty of coffee. Here. <laughs> listen, you don't know, Steve. Jonah has kids all over the world. He just has yeah. a different relationship yeah. with his than we have with ours. You know how? What, what? What are the? What are like the percentiles on her? Oh, I mean, I know that something like the motor skills is in the fiftieth percentile. I mean, she's really just exactly normal. You know, for, so for, isn't that amazing? It really is because considering, like, you know, just the depths of the darkness that we were in, so like just a few months ago, and now it really with this appointment, it really felt like we got in the clear. Like, there's no, um, there's no lagging scares anymore. Of like, right. oh, there, this might show up on a test, or this might develop. We just don't know how badly it will develop, sort of thing. Sure. Like, we are 
out of the woods. So this is something <laughs> we should probably clear up for okay. people listening, right? Yeah. So Keith and I randomly both had extremely premature children at almost exactly the same time. Yeah, when's Zeke's birthday? When, when was he he was born November 2nd. Yeah. Um, also at, at 27 weeks. Yeah. Susanna was 30 weeks. So, so three months was, before oh, wow. his, three months before his due date. And I was about three weeks into my stay at the NICU, yeah. which for people listening is the neonatal intensive care unit, yeah. oh, which yes. is not a cool place, not. but kind of a fantastic place. We can get to that. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's, it's staffed by angels. Oh, it, is. Legitimate. it is legitimate, yeah. angels. legitimate angels. And I was about three weeks into my stay and had heard through a friend of a friend that Keith had a kid and, and had almost the nearly exact same situation, not physically the things that led up to it, but mm. where we wound up was almost exactly the same. So I reached out to Keith being like, wow, Hey, same exact thing happened to me. You know, yeah. like, yeah, this is kind of awesome. weird. And it was a, well, I mean, not awesome to have, but it was great that you reached out. Yeah. Um, and it was sort of a serendipitous thing to find somebody who not only was like a dad for the first time going through the same thing, but also someone who has, you know, deals with the traveling and like the yeah. things about maybe being away and stuff like that. So, so what, pre- what, ha- what happened, Keith? What, what prompted the, um, uh, I, well, I was on tour. I, we just started a tour, and I, all these kind, of, all these, th- all these things kind of fall into place retrospectively. So I'll just go according to to my timeline. Uh, I was on tour. We had a day off in Toronto, which is it happened to be the closest that we were going to be to to Buffalo on this whole tour. So I was essentially home. I was like two hours away from home, and that's Canada. Yeah, Toronto, okay. Canada. Yeah, but, but Buffalo's right on the border. So, um, I I get a call. My wife had been complaining about a shoulder pain for a little bit and, uh, it just kept getting worse. And she really thought that like the dog had pulled it out of socket when she was walking it or something. Um, but she was pregnant and it was continue on and started to scare a little bit. So she had a friend take her to the hospital on November 3rd, the morning of November 30th. And, uh, when she got there, um, she passed out. And this was just total coincidence that she passed out when she got to the hospital. Uh, so they discovered that the um, the pain in her shoulder uh, was a displaced pain from her liver that had developed a hematoma, which was um, because she had something called help syndrome, which is like a blood poisoning sort of thing. So they discovered that this was this was uh, her condition, and they needed to get the baby out like immediately because it is very very. Uh, could be fatal. So they performed an emergency C-section, uh, and Zuzana came. And I was in Toronto. I got a call, like, you just have to come home, you know. Uh, so I did. And, yeah, my wife was, uh, she was on one floor in the hospital. My daughter was on another. You know, help syndrome was, it was, it was a very serious thing. She, when I got to the hospital, my wife was, you know, uh, non-responsive, unconscious, just tubes, machines, everything hooked up. Oh, They're Lord. like, do you want to see your baby? I'm like, okay. Another floor, two machines. I'm like, this is just too much tragedy. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like my brain almost didn't compute it. And then all of a sudden it just, it just like, it, it snapped. They're like, I have to do this. Like I now have a purpose and this is it. And there was no moment of like, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. It became like the most real thing that's ever happened. Sure. Um, so yeah. So then I stayed in the hospital for, I think Lindsay was in the ice. Lindsay was in the ICU. Susanna was in the 
neonatal ICU um, at the same time for about a week or so. Then Lindsay got moved. Uh, she got out of the ICU, got moved into just a regular outpatient room. Uh, then they discovered that her liver ha- had started bleeding again or had, or had a hematoma again, something like that. Uh. And they had to take her to, they were going to mercy flight her to a hospital in Rochester uh, to, where they had a liver specialist on hand in case it burst. Um, and that would have been really tough cause that's like 45 minutes away. And I would have had to like drive to Rochester and back, you know, my wife and my daughter now at different hospitals in different mm. cities would have been terrible, but they were able to find a specialist at a different hospital right down the street, um, in Buffalo. So my daughter was at uh sister's hospital. My wife got moved to Buffalo general hospital and I was just making the trek back and forth for about a month. Fucking month rough, man. So Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then now, but now she's out. Now they're both out, and it's just like no, a full but that's recovery. amazing. Yeah. Full recovery. So, 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 luckily, it wasn't, um, yeah. it, it wasn't the the baby. It was it was your wife. I had a I had a similar situation. How long was she in the NICU total? Um, she was in from November tw- her uh, her birth date of November thirtieth to f- January twenty sixth. Oh and wow! And then she got discharged yeah. the twenty sixth. Came home. Yeah. yeah, and how long how long was Zeke in, Denny? Uh, Zeke was in for ninety six days, so yeah. just over three months. You guys, man, that's like my 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 situation was slightly similar, but not uh, not one thousands as extreme as Keith. My wife had um, beginning stages of preeclampsia. That's what help help is preeclampsia, yeah. but um, just a more advanced it, with other complications too. Yeah. Yeah, she she had that. So then I have twins and they had to we made it to thirty two though. And so yeah. they had so they took them out and um uh yeah, that shit sucks. But Man. mine were only in there. They were only in the NICU for a couple weeks. So but I, while you're while you're there, you see varying degrees of Oh yeah. You feel very grateful and then you feel like, Well, why isn't my kid why is my kid still falling asleep in the car seat, god damn it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was uh it was like, I, I mean, the, the amount of emotions you go through li- pretty much living in that NICU is just insane. And that was the thing, too. It was like when when Ben got in touch with me, it was uh, it was really, really, it was a change for me because I, I, I'm just the kind of person that tends to just internalize that sort of thing. Like, I don't need to talk talk about anybody, uh, you know, talk about it with anybody. I'll sort of just fight my way through it. And once I'm in the clear, then I'll, you know, look back on it. But. Um, I think that's because like a lot of people when they're enduring something like that, they, they, they would like to believe in a weird way that, that their, their pain is like very unique. You know what I mean? And right. It, I don't know if that's a coping mechanism, but maybe it is of this, of something like, okay, I own this. Now this is my situation. Sure. And, uh, when you reach out to me, it's like, okay, wait, this is not just my situation. This kind of, this can happen to other people. And I think, um, for me to be able to talk to somebody about it was, was hugely helpful because it made me realize that like, all right, now there's more people that are sort of understanding what I'm going through and focusing on it. And there's all this like attention, you know, kind of geared towards this one existing condition that we're both dealing with. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of, I don't know, it felt like it expedited uh, the process. It's, it's so not a small club. And uh, you remember Sarah Bear from Warp Tour? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same thing. Her, her, um, Oliver, her son Oliver was born, uh, at like you guys, like a pound. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Super early. Yeah. And, um, he's, he's three or four now. And what, what's fun though is, um, in about a year, you're going to get an invite. I think most hospitals do this. I know ours did. Um, 
they have what they call the Nick Union. Uh huh. And and you go and and you see hundreds and hundreds of kids and parents. Yeah. Who all went through the same thing. And um, Benny and I talked about this once. And I remember when we my girls got put in there. First of all, they separated them, which is kind of fucked up. They could have put twins right next to each other. Right. But, yeah. So I'm That's running, I'm running back and forth yeah. across the NICU all the time. Yeah. And then my wife, um, when she was discharged, it turned out she didn't have, uh, you know, when you're pregnant, you get a lot of um, reflux Present. and things. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she didn't have that. She had polyps. So she had to go back into the same hospital and go through like CAT scan after CAT scan to find out that her entire throat was coated with ulcers. Aye. Oh, wow. And then, and then they put her not in a different hospital, but in another part of the hospital. So I'd been hanging out in the NICU so much, they just let me sleep there. They gave me a bed. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. And let me hang out in a special room. Yeah. But, but there, I remember this kid, I'll never forget him. It was, it was a, um, named Alexis, and he was next to my girls, and he was there before my kids got there, and he was there after mine left. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the first Nick Union, and I saw the mother and this kid just walking around, and I just burst into tears. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. We uh, we just had a, a a charity event uh, for the hospital. I mean, they they have it, but we ran. It's a, it's a marathon, and my wife started a you know a team uh, for, with our daughter's name, and a bunch of our friends donated and ran, and and some of the NICU nurses was there were there and. I saw them and it was like, I can, I imagine it's what it's like when a world war veteran sees another world war veteran, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) after so many years, like you, you've been through so much together, Yeah, you know, and then you see them and it's like, just like, you know, a few tears, it's it's overwhelming. I mean, I almost want to go back to like what you were saying, because it is, I, I understand what you're saying with that natural reaction when you're in a crisis situation. I don't know what it is about people, but you're right. Like you, you become so all consumed by mm-hmm. your own situation. You couldn't imagine that anyone else. Right. How does anybody, ever, yeah. how can anyone else tolerate this? How is anyone else dealing with uh-huh. it? And the unique thing about this NICU situation that I found is like, I agree with you. And often I try not to turn these situations into that. This is one of those situations mm-hmm. that is impossible to convey to somebody Absolutely. who hasn't been through it. Absolutely, It's like the type of scenario, the type of helplessness and the yeah. last, you know, the loss of control, especially for people like us who enjoy oh, yeah. your hand on the button. Yep. And all of a sudden you have no hands on any buttons. Yeah, Jesus, and, take the wheel. And you're just like, like you're oh, literally dude. giving yourself to the ether. But, yeah. And then just the grind of literally sleeping or showing up to this place every day mm-hmm. and literally every day watching the face of somebody having the worst day of their life. Oh, yeah. And it could even be oh, you. Yeah. Or, you know, I know it's something Keith had to experience and I had to too. Under a certain age for these premature babies, they have things called A's and B's, which are apneas and bradycardias. Mm -hmm. And essentially at different times, neurologically, because they're so young and they're not supposed to be breathing on their own yet, they stop breathing. And they stop breathing, they change a color, they turn blue, they turn purple, and you have to stimulate them and you have to wake them back up. And you literally go through this experience where you watch your own child forget to breathe and nearly die. Yeah about a dozen times a day and it's like one of those things that you could sit here and tell someone someone could be like man that's you just can't know yeah, yeah. what that feels like but then on the other token 
of how cool like humans can be and uh-huh. how adaptable. It's amazing that in like about two weeks, you're actually kind of used to it uh-huh. in a weird way. Right. And you're like, oh, is it a bad one? Yeah. Is it good? They need oxygen. They all good. Yeah. All right. Cool, oh yeah. Cool. yeah. You know, and and you go through this weird adaptation process and things like that. And like, I don't know about you, but did you find yourself like? I know you're a, you're a guy who likes to think, mm, and you like. Unfortunately, to, yeah. Same here. <laughs> yeah. You know, like. <laughs> I found so many different things to think about and ways to think about them through this situation. Like what's something that like, like an example of something that like happened to you with that? I mean, this was, I I don't know if this was the best timing possible or the worst timing possible, but we had to write a record while this was going on. Um, every time that I just, just left the studio last month. So I was writing the record in the hospital, you know, computer on my lap, sleeping upright. Um, the whole record, I could say, I could easily say the whole record takes place that night. Like every lyric, it's like 13 songs of like everything that I thought of that night. So, I mean, there, there was so much going on. There was so much going on of like, okay. Um, I mean, the the things that cross your mind, the, the, the dark places you let yourself go, it's just, you know, you kind of feel ashamed about it. Um, you know, that, that you really kind of give in to that horribleness of just like, oh my God, the worst is going to happen. The worst is going to happen. The worst is going to happen. And the truth is every time you see the sun come up, it's the best thing that's ever happened, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It was just a lot of like taking these little things um, that I used to take for granted and and starting to really appreciate them. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was like a whole, it just felt like, you know, like you said about giving up control, it just felt like I was in a, a weird mirror dimension of like everything that i've ever known is wrong right now yeah you know there's nothing i can't think my way out of this i can't get help with this you know uh, you know actual physical help um there's really nothing i can do to to uh to speed this up or to make this go anyway i just have to kind of watch mm-hmm. you know and that was really rough but I, le- I definitely learned a lot from it about just the patience involved and i also learned how just i mean Okay, human babies, like, I mean, it's it's a miracle what what happens to them. But think how helpless they are for so long. Yeah. And then you think about like an antelope that gets born, and it just yeah. hits the ground running. Yeah, giraffe. <laughs> yeah, giraffe just drops, and it's booking. Yeah, because someone a, might be a, a there sh- to eat it. Yeah, yeah, a shark pops out, doesn't even look at the mom, just pff, out. You know, and it's a lot. Aren't they kind <laughs> of like plants? Babies? Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. You just have to yeah. feed it. Yeah. Water it. That's it. it. And yep. like, but if you left it there, oh yeah, it would just sit there and die. <laughs> like, like literally, I know it sounds dark, yeah, but, but that's literally what would happen. Right. If you just yeah. left the baby to its own devices. Yeah. It's yeah. not like it would adapt and figure it out. Right. It would just sit there. Unless you left like a thousand babies in a row there, then maybe one of them would, <laughs> would evolve into some adaptive habit. But yeah, that's, that's a study. Just one. That's yeah. a study I'd love to see. Actually, that's leader. an interesting. Uh, Keith, I had a question. Sure. Uh, like, obviously, you and Benny, like. Have our friends, so you can talk about this. But I remember when this happened, you kind of put out a statement. Mm-hmm. You guys were touring, you were doing stuff for scale. Yeah, I mean, and you sort of talked about. It. I mean, was that important? Because I feel like in a lot of situations, people would just be like, "Family emergency, talk to you later." Um. Well, that was that's kind of what I said. It was like uh, at first, you want to believe that nobody else, there's nobody else that understands that you're like living 
and it was a weird feeling at first. And like I said, when it became the most real thing that's ever happened, it was almost like I was pulled out of, I, I don't know how to describe this. It's like I was pulled out of the world and everything else was flat. And I was like, me and my family were the only thing in three yeah. dimensions. And it was like, I can't get back into that screen of things. I'm only here now. So it was very easy at first just to be like, don't, don't talk to me. Nobody talk to me. I got to handle this. But then it was like, I really have to get back into this living because, you know, I, and this is going to sound contrary to probably what I've always said, but it's it was so um, it was so beautiful to see how many people were like providing, you know, just like yeah. the, the thoughts and the prayers. And I know that thought, saying thoughts and prayers, empty sentiment. But when you really meet someone or you really have a friend that you believe is like actually thinking positive and understands the power of that and you get a whole bunch of those people doing the same thing, I I. I fully believe that all of my friends had a, a, a part in yeah. their recovery. Yeah, Jonah and I, we've talked about this like at length on this podcast before, that that idea that like in a non-religious faith-based way, the idea that enough people creating Absolutely. a good feeling and creating a good environment can actually oh yeah can actually help. Mm-hmm. I did find myself in that odd that odd position of 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 an agnostic in a crisis situation, mm-hmm. which I know is can yeah. be odd, and and it it made me wonder again and again and again, what is that human instinct when you're in this situation to look outside of yourself for yeah. help? Yeah, like what is that instinct, and where does it come from? Why, right before my wife was to go into surgery. Am I out of nowhere talking to my dead relatives asking for help? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like, hey, yeah. guys. I almost like lined them all up. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I had both sets of my grandparents. Uh-huh. I had my mom. Yep. Anyone I've ever been close to that's died. I was like, hey, troops. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I'm like, I need you now. Yep. Like, if you're fucking, if your spirits, if any party you is left here, uh-huh. if you're looking from another place, hook a brother up yeah like this is the time i've never tried this before right you know it's it's a crazy thing it, well it's not crazy it's and it, you know you you hear these stories about people on their deathbed finding faith and you think oh it's cramming for the exam they're just like <laughs> they're just uh-huh. getting it right they're just getting it in at the very end because they gotta you know what i mean yeah. and then you realize yeah, they just no, bought those their homeowners are, insurance before the hurricane exactly <laughs> but, but those are the that deathbed is the condition that needs exactly. to exist in order for that I, I I hate to say faith because I feel like that term has just been so bastardized. But that just uh, uh, belief, I guess, I don't know, I, or hope. I don't I don't want to say faith because you you faith means that you truly believe it's going to happen. I didn't believe that anything was going to happen. Right. I just had hope that it would, and I did believe that if I kind of uh, narrowed my view and sort of you know focus on the positive things, that that something would occur. I like that. That makes a lot of sense because my situation was nowhere near as dire than yours with with the kids. My wife, we almost lost on the table, which the doctor kindly told us like about a month after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which he which he didn't. Which was kind of funny. He uh, didn't let us know. Right. Um, and uh, there was a moment during the delivery where I, I was there and I just heard, "That's not good." Like we both heard it. And we're like, what the fuck? But I'm too busy running back and forth between two kids and her, like this triangle. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, it, it's funny you guys say that the, um, you know, like everybody had a part. I, I remember when um, I was talking to somebody who had gone through a similar situation to you, and 
as I think we all we all have similar you know belief structures. I kind of like an apathetic ag- agnostic, like mm-hmm. don't know, don't care, really. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of my whole thing. And right when a friend of mine had a kid out of the NICU and they were born, they were like, I believe in the power of prayer. That was right around the time my father died. Yeah. And my dad was like the most like, like, like hardcore Catholic, like his, his aunt had like a direct line to Cardinal Egan, like all this shit. And my first thought, which was like having been there with the kid, of course you want the best to happen and you have to give up because mm-hmm. you can't do shit. Right. You're not the doctor. You're not the nurse. You can't do anything. But in that one moment, my first thought was like almost selfish. Like, well, fuck, they didn't help my dad. I mean, Jesus Christ. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So it's, it's that weird flip side and, and, and thank everything that you guys like the opposite occurred, you know? Yeah. yeah it definitely. was a very, it was a very strange thing, but I mean, I definitely do, you know, I've, I've, as of kind of recently and before this all occurred, I, I definitely did um, kind of shift the paradigm of my beliefs into I, maybe positive thinking is the is better for me than all this nihilism and this like, oh, fuck everything. Who gives a shit? We're all going to die. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's cool, I guess. And like in the end, it's probably going to save some heartache. But like, I don't know. I just feel like I'd rather spend all of my time or 99% of my time thinking of the good things and then be disappointed at the end 1% then spend 99% thinking of horrible things and then be surprised at the end that 1% when something sure. nice does happen. Yeah. You know? oh, dude, having, having a kid will force that perspective. And that's on an Absolutely. interesting thing to think about. And I think like, you know, I, I think about that a lot. And the fact that the, it, there is, you know, even if you find an atheist mentality real, yeah, which, I mean, I think logically, the atheist mentality probably for a lot of us makes the most sense. Of course. But the same instinct I was talking about, that instinct where you start looking for something, especially uh-huh. in a crisis situation, I got to assume that instinct was the thing that created religion in the first place. You know, right. it's the thing where, especially when you didn't have google and no science and things like that and you were looking at thunder in the sky as a magical act and you you had no clue what the fuck was going on or all of a sudden six months passed and there was no rain and then this crazy thing happened in this weird storm and you have you know you're looking it's out of your power and you're looking for some some level of formation i almost think that's the thing that created religion in the first place. Clearly, oh, yeah, the definitely. way organizing providing religion, reason for the unknown is comfort. Sure, it's also and, it's also like I mean, if there's one thing that you get to do in this lifetime with with the years that you have on this planet that nobody could take away from you, it's it's ascribing meaning to something. You know what I mean? That mm. you can't you can do that whenever you want, however you want. That's your right as a human, and that's one of the great mm-hmm. things about being a human being is that we can see something and say that does mean something to me or that doesn't mean something to me. Mm-hmm. And nobody else can tell me that what I find meaning is in isn't meaningful. You know. Sure. So if if now I I've changed my life uh, even just a little tweak to be like I think that everything that happens is eventually going to pan out into something better it not only is you know you can't tell me otherwise but it kind of makes things more fun it's mm-hmm. like putting a puzzle together almost and i mean i i know it's you know like i said it's not as cool as as having a fuck all attitude but if, <laughs> if you get to sit down sometimes and just look at the way things lined up and the way things everything uh, the way that everything happened and how it everything everything from the worst moments of your life have had some effect on what followed into 
what is existing now mm-hmm. in these conditions that exist now, it must have all been for good because we're all here now. Sure. You know, your son's doing great. My daughter's doing great. Everything that was horrible has kind of apexed here right mm-hmm. now. So, how, And I need you guys, this is important for you guys to remember this because having gone through, like, like I said, like one one thousandth of what you went through, still horrible. Um, in a few years, I think one third actually numerically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. I guess. I yeah, guess true. Because, Matt, math not but, my strong suit. Um, uh, <laughs> Benny and these fractions. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. There's gonna be a There's gonna be a point where they're gonna look at you and be like, "Fuck you." <laughs> right. You're gonna be like, "You sure. asshole!" Do you know what we went through? Oh yeah. Oh, I, oh absolutely. Yeah. I'm. I'm waiting that day. Told, my kid's not a little fucker. Yeah. It's not mine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I can't wait for that. I mean, it was, a, it was a, you know, when you're sitting there at the, the, the side of this incubator and, you, you yeah. know, you're only allowed to, like, put your hands through and, like, lay one hand on your child's head and the other one on, like, her, her back or something. And you're just thinking, like, give me anything. Give me, a, give me this yeah. person as a teenager smoking in my fucking yeah, 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 face, yeah. flipping yeah. me off. Yeah. Anything, please. You yeah. Know? I think that's one, you know, there are. You know, now that you're outside of it, uh-huh. you can start thinking about the silver linings a yeah. little bit. It's hard to find mm-hmm. when you're in there and dealing with it. But one thing I found terrific is the fact that the whole coming home with a newborn thing, uh-huh. super easy. Yeah. Because we had professional training from <laughs> professional nurses. Yeah, absolutely. For months. Absolutely. Like, it was really like, okay, taken care of. This baby's already got a yeah. schedule now. Yeah. And I didn't have to do that, you know? And, and it was actually, you know, a blessing. And then the same thing about like your expectations for a kid. Yeah. And their life and stuff like that. There is like a thing now that's like, as long as you are tall and yeah. healthy yeah. and don't Breathing have a neurological yeah. issue. Yeah. Yeah. whatever the fuck happens with your life great yeah you know what i mean like that's yeah, great absolutely and it, let's uh, go ahead no please keith i mean do you feel like you had like before this experience you had kind of like that more nihilistic type of it because i feel like so often on the podcast people are talking about stuff i'm like well the sun's gonna burn out what's the point of you doing this? yeah and i feel yeah. like it was uh i always did i, I was always <laughs> was a great perspective <laughs> yeah. no i mean really like yeah, that totally. was the end that was the end of everything like okay yeah that's cool but the sun's gonna burn out i mean right. that was you 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 cap any conversation with that you can't there's right. no going past that right yes what is the point of making music sun's gonna burn out uh, right you know what's the yeah. point of feeling anything sun's gonna burn what's the point out? of getting but, out of bed right exactly but it's like the point is the process it's not it's not the result it is the process it's like mm-hmm. just being in that moment you know and i that um that that change started a, a while ago um i got into like meditation and stuff and it was just because i just i i hit bottom i totally hit i bottomed out I was like, everything I'm doing isn't working. Like How long everything. ago was that? This like, was like 2009 or 10. I was like, nothing is working. I am fucking miserable. Like, I, I'm secretly really, you know, depressed. I need something. I need, and like alcohol was not, was not working. So I, start, I was like, all right, I'm going to give in to this fucking bullshit hippie nonsense of I'm going to meditate. I'm going to study meditation. Uh, I'm going to see what all this fucking... 
what all these hippies are talking about. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. They're on to something. And that was the hardest part was admitting that the hippies are on to something. Because <laughs> I, I was just like, oh, I was so easy to dismiss these people as like, Sh- just shut up, man. Just shut up. Well, yeah. And then now it's like, I, oh, shit. I went through the same exact thing. Like, I to the point that I made my wife carry my yoga mat through town when yeah. we go to a class. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, I don't want to see these people to see me with that. <laughs> right. I'm like, right. no. And I'm like, you know, just because you believe it doesn't mean you're in a dashiki tomorrow. Right. You right. Know? And I also think that a big fear of of being positive is the way that people think it's going to affect their image, like the way yeah. people perceive them, like being happy is uncool. I mean, it really is. Yeah. It's being yeah. uncool. You're right. if, if I say that I'm, you know, if I say that I've I've kind of abandoned that negativity and I would rather be happy more more of the time. And I can deal with being disappointed later on. But for now, I'm just going to be happy. People are like, well, I don't want to look stupid when I'm proved wrong. Well, like, what? Yeah. Really? To, like, to who? <clears throat> Who's watching? I mean, yes, everyone is watching. but And then you're going to allow your life to suffer for right. someone else's perception. And it's, a, it's just yeah. it's a false perception. Like, you don't know that anybody's thinking that about you. I mean, there's just so much that we set up in our own way. Do you think uh, that was harder for you since, like, you know... A lot of people, especially from the outside, if they don't know you personally, see this like oh. sarcastic, biting, yep. kind of yeah. like real like yeah. thorny little motherfucker kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had to definitely be first. First, the I had to become aware of that, you know, uh, mm-hmm. of the fact that like this is this is a this is kind of ho- how I'm perceived because of the band. You know, then I was like, okay, do I want to risk, you know, shattering that sort of thing? And, you know, that's kind of what what scale gets into a little bit is just like just having like that, taking that first step of like putting the chisel into that, you know, that that facade and and just cracking it first and then being like, okay, I'm I'm just going to take down what I've set up, you know. Um, But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot at stake. Yeah. But how how much of that do you think like the whole time? was like actually you and something you were just creating to like be in a band and be able to present yourself like publicly um mo- most of it because i was uh, i was like not only super on uns- i mean i said the band I was like 18 so yeah. i'm like growing up in public in a way right. you know what i mean yeah. people are watching me change and mature and, sure. um uh, you know it was it was a strange thing and so yeah i had to sort of um figure things out in private but then still keep this um this projection going at a linear phase because nobody likes quick sudden changes you know so it was like i would have to go back to like my lab and then see how much i was going to like let out that i was changing you know a slow change is is easier to accept sure way easier yeah yeah, yeah. and I, i i don't um, it's not lost on me that that is, uh, you know, every time I die has been around for longer than a lot of other bands. I just think we timed our changes very slowly because Was it 18 I, years now. Yeah. 18 years. I Holy mean, crap. Yeah. And I mean, you know, a, a lot of our peers we've, we've seen come and go. It's because, you know, one of the major, uh, causes is because they change their sound too quickly. And mm. it might've been a, a, an internal change that dragged on for a year or so. But they they decide that this record is going to be their last heavy record, and then they're going to explore their sensitive side or whatever it is. But I feel like we've always kind of been like, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. Like, yeah, you can have a side that you want to explore, but yeah. you have to do it gradually because people are going to react to that. I feel like every time I die has always been really quality at like at the root. 
you always have a badass hardcore song. Yeah. But then, right. like, between you singing, the lyrics, like, not just... And especially, I mean, it's maybe hard for people to understand now, but in 98, you dropping those choruses when you're singing instead of screaming yeah. was kind of a big deal. Right. That was like, you guys were almost... You know, as someone who was obviously a giant hardcore fan... Mm-hmm before you guys were a band and then watched you come up because my friend signed you and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you guys were part of that curve right. in hardcore where it became okay to sing. Yeah. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. Like, there was a few bands around that time, maybe like yeah. you guys. It was like the used glass jaw. And I and remember. Boys from Fire, Fire Abyss, Abyss, From Mom yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I rem- but that's the thing. Like, I grew up with like a you know an appreciation for a good chorus and a sure. good melody like that was just something that was just in my house with the music my parents listened to most of it is then i got into my rebellious teen years and disavowed song structure and i'm like god oh, no fuck that fuck that fuck that <laughs> we're just gonna make noise and we're just gonna slam all these parts together but then there was still this thing in me it's like man i would really like you know, I would like to put something out that people can catch on to. Sure. So I would, I snuck in a, a you know, a line here and there that I, I could sing. And, you know, I, cause that was just kind of true to who I was. And I really, I knew off the bat, like uh, the, I didn't know much, but what I knew right off the bat was if I just stayed true to like what I liked, that eventually people would probably start paying attention to it. I could see that. So. I, do you think uh, like geographically, right? Like Buffalo. Yeah kind of a unique place yeah unique city Mm -hmm. unique like region the way people are and i'll always remember like we went on that tour i don't even remember what year it must have been 2000 or 2001 i was like 19 or 20 years old and i was roadieing for nora Mm -hmm. and just i mean there wasn't that much work to do i was like helping him load in and drive and sell about three shirts a night if and uh and i remember one day like you know i was we were on tour with every time i die and I don't remember, you know, I started talking, actually, I think it was Steve yeah. that I was like starting to get chummy with on mm-hmm. the tour. And you guys let me into your van for one of the trips. I don't know if you've, you've, I do, you remember, I remember this. that. Yeah. Okay. I so, riding with us. so we took one trip from city to city where I dumped out of the Nora van, went into the every time I die fan, you know, at the time I felt pretty cool. <laughs> Gotta be honest. You know, they had their own little thing going on in there. But one thing I'll always remember is like, wow, these dudes aren't like my dudes. Yeah. Like. This is a semi-intimidating bunch to be around. Really? Yeah. Like between like Rat Boy and Andy. Yeah. And oh, yeah. And yeah. they're quiet and Andy's gigantic. Yeah. And then like, I think, you know, whatever, you and your bro, like mm-hmm. something go. And I was just like, and then I think you guys were the ones who taught me about Roadside Records. Yeah. Because wow. <laughs> something happened there. I don't know. Is this something that the world needs to know about? Not yeah. that the world is listening. Yeah, no. Like, it's uh, fucking Regis. But, yeah, it was. Um. Okay. Well, you can you can accredit it to just, uh, you know, complete, you know, asinine behavior of juveniles. But yeah, we would get demos. And this is when the vans had like tape players. Right. And, uh, you know, if it was bad, we would sign it to Roadside <laughs> Records to roadside and chuck records. it out the window. Yeah. But, uh, but this was also, that's everything amazing. was bad. And that was common practice. Yeah. This wasn't, so, yeah. but the, the point I was getting to is like, you guys had like, you were vibey, you were super vibey early on. And do you think like being from Buffalo and there's not a lot of bands like you have come out of there. Yeah. Like, do you think that had something to do with it? Yeah. Just I like mean, that the, vibe. you know, the, the, the region that we grew up with is, is everything. I, 
I don't necessarily know how it works for everybody else in the band, but I know that like me personally, being that close to Canada was a big thing for us because their hardcore bands were uh, like, yeah. they were pretty melodic. Like, I don't know if you remember sure. like Grade and like New Day, New Day Rising. Rising. Sure. These dudes were like singing. Yeah. Sure Chris Gray yeah. was like singing. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. He, he, had a, he had a voice. I was like, whoa. But then you also yeah. had like Chokehold and yeah. Swarm and right. all that. So you get these two dynamics that are right across the border and you know, this is pre-internet, so we would have to drive up to shows and get tapes and bring them down. It was like we were the Europeans introducing horses to the country. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, look at this discovery we yeah, made, yeah, this yeah. band. And then, you know, so we were kind of, you know, I, I don't know. I, I felt like we were the gatekeepers at a certain point because we would tr- travel the country and we would have this music from Canada with us that a lot of, you know, Floridians had never heard of before. Right, you know? right. I'm picturing you guys living in like Winterfell right now. I don't know if yeah. there's a lot of Game Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> looks like you're just south of the wall. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And everything going yeah. on. Yeah. So that was that was big, and I, you know, uh, I think that that when hardcore at that stage, it was really interesting to me because I remember hearing the first time I heard a guy singing on a hardcore record. I was like, wait a minute, you can do that? That's yeah. Okay, that's cool. Good. And was it the same in Buffalo where it was met with like a lot of old dude backlash? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I thought we oh, used yeah. to go to Buffalo too and see like Floor Punch and yeah. all like that whole scene. Which well, is- it was such a weird, um, I mean, there was, you know, you, you would have the New York City hardcore bands like legitimate right. i mean like black train jack and like mad ball you know like all these old hardcore bands like coming through buffalo and they'd be there and then you'd go to these shows and it, it would be like okay i wh- when i go to this show i gotta wear my super big t-shirt i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. La- you know it's funny now but i'm a 15 14 year old 15 year old kid it's like this yeah. is important i want to fit in so this I gotta- is a russell athletic but, yeah, hoodie right show. right yeah or Dude, this I, is I, like I love a- that you mentioned black train jack who oh. i adore Adore that band. Love really? <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was like saw, one of the, you know, I, I just remember I seeing their name on a flyer. Sam I am. Like, oh, man. Yeah, I mean, in Cleveland, it was, a, I mean, Cleveland's only three hours away, yeah. but it was especially weird because you'd go see, oh, like, you guys had integrity. Yeah. We had integrity, but you'd go see One Life Crew and they'd be like, all oh, these bands are vegan Nerdarios. And yeah. then you'd go to, like, <laughs> see Chalkline and be like, skinny guys with guitars. Yeah, and, no like, shoes on. Like, yeah, yeah screaming <laughs> into their pickups. And I yeah. liked all yeah. of it. That, that was just yeah. a time with that scene. It wasn't it. Because I remember the same thing. Like, you go to, like, I'd go see like Sheer Terror in Warzone. Yeah. In like Newark somewhere. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus Christ, is this like 1982? I like skinhead rap. <laughs> right. I'm like, what the hell is happening around here? Right. And then like literally the next weekend, you know, I'd be going to, to CBs to see like, you know, Spat or like just these weird yeah. bands mixed together with a totally so awesome, different vibe. I can't imagine having like multiple hardcore venues to go to when you're growing up. I mean, Buffalo had like, there was one or two. But the show place. Yeah. show place was, show place was big um for me like later on like in the no- early mid 90s but like early 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 there was like no i remember this place called kenzie's in lockport hmm. uh where it was like you would go and i saw you know you'd see bands like vod play for like five or six kids you <laughs> right. know and but if you were there that was that was important yeah, you yeah, had yeah. to be there i sure. remember it was like it was just a status symbol like you say <laughs> you were at that show and that that was our version of filming something you know what I mean? Uh, we didn't have yeah. cameras, but you said you were there, and you could you could rem- you could talk to somebody else about what songs they played. And I remember it was like Father's Day, and I made my dad drive me to the show. Like that's how I that's how I spent my Father's Day. I made my dad drive me to see um, VOD, and I think like uh, it was some some other band. I can't. I'll remember it in a bit. But yeah, I made him take me and drop me off, and that was my Father's Day. And if you sacrificed your Father's Day yeah. to go to a show, you were even cool. That's all. What over. important Buffalo hardcore <laughs> question? Sure. Favorite 
Scott Vogel Band, Slugfest, Oof. Despair. Despair. Yeah. It's Despair. It's yeah. gotta be. I mean, I, he was to, Scott Vogel was to me the first, like, celebrity in yeah. the hardcore scene. Like, it wasn't when he the walked Snapcase in, guys? No, because they were, it, it felt like they were on a different level. Right. Because they had, like, CDs out. You know what I mean? And well, they Despair, were probably the biggest hardcore band maybe they were. at that time. They right? were. So yeah. it didn't feel like, it, it felt like you wouldn't see them around. Right. Something like that, you know? But when Scott Vogel walked into a room, you're like, Yo, yeah, Scott I'm still kind of like that with Scott Vogel. Me too. And I even we, know the guy now. We shared a bus on yeah. Warped Tour, and yeah. I would still wake up and be like, yo, it's Scott still Vogel. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that was cool. And I, he was, it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, now the, the different ways you seek approval, you know, it, you're always seeking it. It just changes format. You yeah. know, now it's like, how many retweets can you get? But back then it's like, <laughs> is, is Scott Vogel moshing? <laughs> you know, if Scott Vogel's moshing for your band, you got it. Yeah. You got the, you got what it takes. I remember my ultimate one as a kid was I played 67 Handy Street in New Brunswick yeah. with my first band Dilemma, and we played the Super Touch reunion shows. Okay, they were doing a few shows, and they came and played there. And at the time, Ari from Lifetime was living at that house. Ooh. My friend Chris Ross was doing the shows, but Ari was living there. And we were playing. We were a few songs in. Ari comes down the stairs holding his little dog. Of course. And he's petting his little dog. <laughs> like and I, Dr. Evil. Dude. He had a dog because I would assume he would have uh, cats. It was a dog. <laughs> oh. 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 <laughs> Uh, that was a pretty good one. That was solid. Thank you. That's a, see, Steven's not even Steven, you didn't, you didn't think that was funny? Virtual Steven's not even He said Ari came the... down with a little dog, and I said, oh, I think we would have cats. Ari cats. Not like the delicatessen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just... Jonah, sometimes right. the puns just like go right through <laughs> me. And then I, it's like, they're it's always like a, less funny when I repeat them, yeah. too. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like a pun grenade, you know, every once in a while. They'll like go off a little while later after the pin pops out. Yeah, yeah. I get that. But I, I remember had one him of those like experiences. I had one band head. in college, and I remember we we played a, a place called Twisters in Richmond, and I actually got to ask him about it when he came on the podcast because out in front uh, of the venue, he wouldn't come in because there was some kind of protest going on at the venue we didn't know about. But it was a uh, Tim Barry. Oh yeah, from. And from a veil, and we were like, "Oh my God, Tim Barry, that's so awesome! It's so cool!" And then he never came in. And then what? Two years ago, when we had him on the podcast show, I was like, "Do you remember that?" And he went, "Oh, dude, that was your band. I'm sorry, we we had like a thing going on with the, with the owner." Uh, oh, nice. right. Was this when you were playing nice, the dude. Ice Cream Socialist? Yes, the Immortal <laughs> Ice Cream Socialist. It is, uh, Keith. Also, you wrote a book. Yes, which is why. Yeah, you're, yes. Did you say I read a book? Or you I wrote, wrote one. I right? did write one. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I feel I like you one. have probably read a lot of books. I, re- I read. I read some books. Um, and I was reading it last night. Oh, uh, and I was like, I feel like a lot of musicians kind of get into writing, especially like memoiry stuff down uh-huh. the line. And we've sort of talked about like the Black Sparrow stuff, yeah, like Fonte Bukowski. And I was like, oh, I'll breeze through this a little bit. And I was reading, I was like, this is like a legit. Like I was like, I really have to like dedicate my brain a hundred percent to understand this. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not at all trying to like. I'm not trying to sound condescending yeah, like no, I thought no, no. it would be and, like and a I'm coloring not, book. And I'm not trying life. to say like, how dare you think you can breeze through my books. Right, right, right. It's like, uh, I get that. That's the first thing I get is, I like, it's it's actually like a real book. Totally. Like, yeah, it's because, a fucking real book. Like, yeah. yeah, I wrote a book. It says on the cover, a novel. Like, yeah, totally. a novel on the cover. But I feel like that term, like I'm writing a novel, like so many people sort right. of say that or like, you know, like. Yeah, I feel like musicians get into 
uh, like book writing memoirs in the same way that like old hardcore kids get into like acid and rave music. It's right. like <laughs> it's just the next step. Um, so, but I didn't want to do that, and uh, <clears throat> I feel like people expect that. Like, all right, I'm a 36 year old hardcore kid. Obviously, these are my memoirs. Yeah, your no, Nikki Six cocaine yeah. memoirs. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, I do, you're right. <laughs> I think people expect like bathroom reading. Totally. Where you pick up a chapter, you totally. grab five pages of a story, you're all good. Yeah. And put it back down till the next time you shit. Yeah. But even like based on those guys, like I referenced, like to me, this was much more like not dense, but like it's very, it's, I don't know what the, like literary, I don't know. Like, well, I mean, you know, Bukowski was, I don't know. It, I have I have my qualms with Bukowski. He, of course, he was just a Polish grandfather, and I know because I I had two Polish grandfathers, and <laughs> everything that he wrote about and everything he said was an alcoholic Polish grandfather. Yeah, some kind that's of some it. old country kind of shit. Right, yeah, that's right. it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not right. groundbreaking. Yeah. It's just angry. And the thing about Bukowski and, and you know all the, the whole drinking thing, the real horror is in sobriety. Like, let's be honest, you dr- alcoholism is the fucking easy way out. You want to you want to see some shit? Try seeing it sober. That's a hell know? of a good point, Keith. Yeah, That's so, true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so if, if if people are gonna like, you know, I'm not taking this away from him. I, I've read some of his books, and I, you know, obviously it's 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 a fun read, of course. But it's like, I don't know. I just, I, I, I think that people want to say that it's like that because the character has a a drinking problem and gets into drugs, but it's really not. Like that's just a little footnote. You know, that's not the point of it. So. Yeah, you're not you're not writing the copulating mermaid of Venice Beach, California. Right, right. But how long did it take you to write it? Because it seems like something like that would take a really long time. It took because uh, I feel like when we were at the APMA's last year, you were like working on it. Yeah, or... yeah. It was it, it it actually started around that same probably on the same tour where I, as aforementioned, kind of felt I hit bottom, and I was like really I just I needed something, and I just started writing. And I, I obviously I've always written lyrics, but I just started writing just like I'm just going to do like two hours a day and just just to kind of take my mind off stuff. So I would do that every day. And then people would be like, what are you writing? I'm like, I just I have no idea. And I was saying this to you outside. Like, I don't know. I'm just doing it. It's just I'm just writing whatever happens, whatever happens. And then there was just one day in Europe where I had this like eureka moment of holy shit, this theme ties everything together. And it was the theme of the uh of the, the fluctuating chapters going back and forth where, you know, it's like mania versus melancholy, you know, digression versus ascension sort of thing. And that was it. And once I did that, all the things that I had been writing fell into place. And that's the sort of thing where it's like, you don't know it at the time and you just think you're in hell. And then later you're like, oh my God, that's why that happened. Mm-hmm. That's why I was writing in this darkness for so long. It's because eventually it would come to this point, you know? Well, I mean, so, that, but that takes something and like you have to be self-aware enough to be able to find the linings to go down that path. Right. You right. know, like, like, what do you think the difference between somebody like, because I, I know, you know, we know each other personally. I know we've both lived parts of our life, like pretty close to the fucking edge uh-huh. of things where it could have gone off the side pretty yeah. easily, maybe yeah. in your head and stuff. Yeah. Like. What do you think, like, somebody outside is listening to this and, like, they're going through, like, how do you find those themes and those silver linings through life to, like, wind up like that? Because you can just as easily wind up, like, oh, yeah. on the other side. It's just, it's, it's just one of those things that, it, that it, it takes so much more effort to, to be angry all the time. And, and, and it's strange that, that it really does boil down to how much anger you're carrying around because 
when you start letting that go and uh like for me personally i i had always let it go by drinking you know that was just it if i would get angry i'd take a walk grab a beer grab a few more beers and i'd be happy i was always a happy drunk which is good that's why i kind of like being drunk um so you just kind of got to lighten that load um but it has to really be this internal thing where you you just don't want to do it anymore and you i could say this to people and they could listen to it and take my advice or take anybody's advice like they would stop smoking for a little bit and then go back it has to mean something to you so when you're ready to let go of the anger you'll know you're ready and then you'll find a way and as soon as that load starts lightening it it's it's like i i know this is probably the most cliche metaphor but it, it, everything clears up everything your eyes open you you see things like you've never seen them before you see these patterns developing and evolving and and it, all it is is you're just not angry you're just not walking around angry so i really think that's the quintessential first step is just decide you want to stop being angry yeah yeah and it is like like a lot of people view it as some like all-consuming thing you have no control over and yeah. then a lot of people say no you just choose yeah it's a choice it's yeah. absolutely a choice and i and it's very easy to say that the the world is out to get you and God hates you. And, you know, that's, of course, when you say that, yeah, you're bringing it onto yourself, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. You know what I mean? You get what you, you get what you think about whether you want it or not. Right. And so when all you're thinking about is how cursed you are, you're going to look at everything like you're cursed, you know? But if you start seeing that things aren't really that bad or like, like I said, I could either, I could either sat in the NICU and, and cursed God and said, this is the worst time of my life or... Someone comes up every morning. I'm like, all right, this is good. This, yeah, you know, I, I got this working for me. And you just take it one step at a time until you you're out of the woods. And do you think you were like almost in your life, like the arch of your life or whatever? Like you were getting to that point, and then the experience in the NICU kind of because I like basically I, I'm asking in the way I found one of the most frustrating things about the NICU being the fact that. You know, in order to get through it day by day, mm-hmm. you need hope. Oh, yeah. You need hope that it's going to end in a nice way. And yeah. You need hope to think that he's going to be all right, she's going to be all right, this and that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you very much have to temper that hope yeah. with a very real discipline to take everything day by day. Right. Because with every advance, you're going to get kicked in the balls. Yeah. Like probably less than a day later. Right. It definitely taught me in a way to like i'm a planner mm-hmm. i like oh, things yeah. like planned yeah. and mapped out yeah. and i'm not good on the fly right and it definitely taught me to be like more in the moment yeah. i would say and yeah. d- so do you think you were in this like ascension to getting to that place and then this thing happened that kind of like cemented it a little um yeah hey, real, I, real quick sorry before i answer that speaking of the moment i have to go pick up my children from preschool oh all right keith Yes, Thank Steven. you so much, man. Benny, you're so good at this. Jonah, you're, you're my dog. Well done as always. Thanks for being here. I'll work on that Kool-Aid costume for you. Yeah. Please, for the love of God. Um, this him, was so great. It. I'm so glad I got to be a part of this. Absolutely, and, um, man. Thanks very much. All, all, my, all my best to both your uh, uh, respective spouses and children. Thank you. Uh, in, a, in a couple years, it's going to be even more awesome. And trust me i'm five years in and i'm like jesus christ this is still happening i can't wait <laughs> thanks and buddy. now and now and now they just say funny shit uh i'll leave you with one thought the other day uh, <laughs> one of my kids said uh can i have cereal for breakfast and i said yeah and i went in the kitchen i just kind of spaced and from the corner of uh, our little room here i just hear no cereal alert no cereal alert <laughs> and i was like all right that's genetics thank you yeah. so much <laughs>
Uh, we'll talk soon, everybody. Have a great rest Take of the care. podcast. Thanks, man. It's awesome. So yeah, we were, I was basically saying, like, do you think that experience, like, was, like, almost the cherry on the cake of, like, your... It, well, it solidified that nothing is solid, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it opened up the realization that, like, this this universe is full of coexisting opposites. It was simultaneously the best thing that happened to me and the worst thing that happened to me. It was simultaneously, like... The, the beginning of a new day and the end of the fucking worst night. You know what I mean? It yeah. was just all these things were happening at the same time. And it was like, all right, this is kind of how things, I guess, exist. And you just have to decide how to look at it. You it's know? awesome, man. So. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people through this. And some people I've found really inspiring. Some people I couldn't wait to stop the fucking conversation. Oh, yeah. You know, because yeah. some people walk away from this situation not like that. No. And honestly, listen, listening to you talk and how you're viewing it, I think it's really inspirational. And it's Thank like you. a beautiful way to look at it in a lot of ways. Like, Thank I appreciate you. the way you've been able to navigate it for sure. Thanks, man. I appreciate your, your help through it all. I mean, Same. you know, very, very personal level. That was, I, I, I needed that, you know? Cool. So I didn't have anything like that. It was One great. day, these little Zs are going to fucking chill. I know. Man. It's awesome. I know. We got I two wait. Z kids. Yeah. <laughs> They're both going to meet. They're going to have to meet. Last in homeroom. Yeah. <laughs> last at the DMV. Yeah. Sometimes they do the reverse one, though, right? Oh, that's true. Don't you? I that's feel like, because I felt like I was always first, and then do the reverse. I'd be like, oh, come on. <laughs> well, your kid's going to experience the 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 both sides, because sometimes they go last name, right. and they're straight for right. that. Right, right. You yeah. got to be. That's true. You got to be. Yeah. 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 My kid's screwed either way. Yeah. <laughs> Two Z's I'm giving to my kid. Horowitz. I mean, uh, so many Z's. Yeah. How's he going to... I wanted to name him Herman. Really? Yeah, I thought it was cute. It is cute, and you don't Herman see a lot of Horowitz. People. Herman, but you then, don't see a lot of babies named Herman. My thing was that everyone's like, that's the nerdiest fucking name I've ever heard. Like, you can't name your kid that. I'm yeah. like, come on. My kid's going to be my size right. with my mouth. Right. Think right. he's going to get fucked with? Yeah, come on. No, he's going to... Yeah. And like, but then, like, who knows? Like, you want to... You don't want to start your kid off. You don't, with, yeah, you don't so want to. You want to give him as clean of a slate as right, possible, and right. giving him a name that sounds like a 1930s <laughs> New York <laughs> shoe cobbler. You know, Herman Horowitz. Yeah. <laughs> it's maybe not the best idea. That's so funny. We went with something cooler. Yeah. You know, Jonah. I, what would your kid's name be? Give me a girl and a boy's name for your potential children. I have no idea, man. No. Come on, you must Come have on. thought. You must have like heard a name. You're like, that's a cool I name. I know you do improv comedy. You can do this. Well, I almost got named Maxwell, which I think is a cool name. Oh, hell cool. yeah. Maxwell Bayer. Yeah, I like between that. Max, Maxwell and Jonah. Which I like both of them. They're both, They're both cool. good. So I'd probably do that. Max was always a cool name because it was like, it could be a, a boy's name or like a volume level. Exactly. You know? like, <laughs> exactly. That's it, man. Max. <laughs> <laughs> Girl's name, I don't know. That's harder, I feel like. Would you go like something Max pretty Law. or something like, I feel oh, like, their name is like Green Ivy or like whatever the fuck's going I on I just there. feel like girls' names are so hard because you have so many weird associations. Like you're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a cool name. But like in like sixth grade, I asked this girl out with that name and she didn't go out with yeah. me. So I, yeah. that'll make me always think of it. So yeah. I can't. Yeah, there's a lot of baggage w- with names for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was really difficult to, yeah. to pick out a good name. We ran into, we were making these lists, and between the two of us, it was like, oh, no, I knew a guy named that. Yes. He's an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep, <laughs> totally. Yeah, we kind of lucked out with Zuzana. It's a, it's just a Russian name, um, but we, I, I mean, we named her after the uh, 
the character in It's a Wonderful Life mm. when uh, George Bailey has his daughter's name is Zuzu. Yeah. And she, you know, she gives him the pedals and stuff. And then we're like, Zuzu's a cool name, but we don't want to name our daughter a nickname. Like, Zuzu's right. a nickname. What's what's the full Zuzu? Right. And then we found out Zuzana. So we're like, all right. Well. Can you say, I know he does, he says the name in like a really funny way in a movie. Can you do the accent? Like, oh, shoo, shoo. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he's uh, like, <laughs> Merry Christmas, you <laughs> wonderful old building it alone. Yeah, he's just running good. through the town screaming like a maniac. I love that fucking movie, though. Man, that's such that's a good, good. movie. That's yeah. good. Don't you, don't you know me, Nick? It's me. Yeah, I've never seen right Benny here. so happy. Uh, it fucking cracked me up. I mean, as a Jew on Christmas, yeah. I hated those fucking movies uh, for like a long time. Yeah. I've married a white woman. Mm-hmm. So now I'm now exposed to yeah. all of it. I've yeah. seen all of them. Yeah. And that's a good one. I like that. I one. think that really was filmed one. in yeah. Cleveland or something. <clears throat> it yeah. takes place Tremont? in Bedford. Well, the, the, the town is Bedford Falls, which okay. they say is like uh, uh, Niagara Falls, mix of Niagara Falls. and stuff. But they say that he gets on, or his brother gets on a train that comes from Rochester or goes to Rochester. And they mention Buffalo. So it all takes place oh, in that it's part an of the country. Interesting. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's your guys' region. Yeah. But I, was it filmed in Cleveland? I think so, because yeah. I think I know where the house, the house is in Tremont, I right. think. Okay. And it's uh, a Christmas story was filmed in Cleveland, right? That Maybe one. I'm thinking of a Christmas story. Yeah. I think it I seems am. like okay. Cleveland. Do you guys have a natural kinship being lake people? Is there like a thing? I think so. I can see you guys. Yeah. I can see yeah. you. Yeah, well, yeah, totally. On a clear day, I can see you guys. Like I said, and I always talk to Keith about my taco. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to bring some. It's I was okay. gonna. Oh, I used to always want to go there, and everyone's like, no, man. I have. I don't know. I, I just have such an affinity for it. I Me love my taco. Yeah, I, I like it. American cheese on Mexican food. Me too. What's so wrong with that? Yeah, what's wrong with a taco place that doesn't have rice for some reason? <laughs> <laughs> Inexplicably... Absent. I think they actually just brought it back. I mean, it's just it's so pandering. Can I, you guys uh, tell? I don't know what this is. Oh, it's it's, it's like a it's a, a very local taco place. It's called Mighty Taco. But you would always go there for like the hardcore show. Yeah, oh, show after the, the show okay. was always a Mighty gotcha. Taco. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just like um, it's it's for people without culture. It's what they <laughs> think a taco's like, which is any pretty much you know ninety percent of Buffalonians are like, oh wait a minute, man, that's a taco. Put some put some buffalo sauce and some blue cheese on it. And then my taco's like, yeah, whatever. What else do you want on it? We'll put it on there. We have no, you know, we have no uh, loyalty to true Mexican cuisine. Whatever you want, yeah. So there is not a lot in Buffalo you can't get like that is deep fried meat covered in cheese and some kind of sauce it's 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 so embarrassing and i'm not it's not like i'm ashamed of it because i love buffalo but man they are just shamelessly i, I mean unhealthy yeah. Un- anything is deep fried everything's deep fried uh you know you go to a fair and it's like oh it's a, well the fair is only in town for two weeks so i guess i have two weeks straight of cheat diet cheat days and then you're just <laughs> eating deep fried napkins yeah. like anything yeah, yeah, yeah. you could find yeah, yeah but I don't know. I like it still. <laughs> I had a killer veggie corn dog last time I was there. Really? Well, remember we were playing that stupid radio show in Buffalo. Yeah, I, I and just left. I hit but... you up to, to yep. try and get some herb in yep. town. And Did that stuff. work? That worked out, right? Oh, worked out great. Okay, yeah, good. thank you. <laughs> no problem. Um, but uh, yeah, and I I walked around and I did notice the food selection, even at the stands, mm-hmm. was I'm like. I mean, even as a vegetarian who just needs to play later, that yeah. doesn't mean I got to eat healthy. Right. I just need to eat not horrible. Right. Basically. Yeah. I could eat average. Yeah. 
And I just, I was striking. I had to go to Timmy Ho's. Yeah, it's not possible. <laughs> they, it feels like Buffalo's ship is kind of turning. They are getting a little more health conscious, but people are actively protesting healthy, <laughs> healthy options for food. There's a great vegetarian spot. That I've been about Amy's around the place? college, yeah. Amy's, place Amy's is awesome. Yeah, I've been there a couple of times. They have uh, that. That's been a staple since like early hardcore days. Played like, some basements around that yeah, area, and then uh, actually schooled some kids at some hoops. Oh, so I I kind of like kind of own that block. Then I'd say. I <laughs> I associate Buffalo with like a little bit of like me owning that shit. Absolutely, because yeah, no I one's taking it back too. for me. Yeah, no one. No, there's a statue of you. Right outside of Amy's place, yeah. Just like this? Yeah. Just like, yeah, like Wesley Snipes. Yeah. What's up, baby? And we're back. All right. Whoa, heavy. Heavy podcast. Heavy Chevy, a little bit of little humor in there, but yeah, uh, if you've ever wondered what it's like to have a premature child, maybe you'll find some solace in knowing that other people have gone through it, and uh, it's scary, but it, it can it can be okay. Um, and yeah, Stephen. I'm glad Stephen was on this one because he, he had experiences with that, and then NICU, and so did um, Keith and Benny. And uh, I don't because I don't have any kids. Won't. And hopefully, I won't. And hopefully, none of you will. Hopefully, none of you will. But if you do, it sounds like the people um, working there are, like Stephen said, angels. Mm. So yeah. So thanks to Keith for coming by. Thanks to opening up about that. That was really interesting. Thanks, Benny. Thanks, Benny, for making this happen. Um, check out Keith's book, Scale. It's available right now. Um, it was released via, like I said, Rare Bird Books, but you can buy it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Bookstores. Bookstores, yeah. If you don't know, if you can't figure out where to buy a book, <laughs> I don't know. Then go to you the know library, how, man. Yeah, go That's to the library. Jonah gets his books. Yes, I do sometimes go to the library. <laughs> I actually haven't gone. There isn't a good it's one good. near There's me. nothing to be ashamed I of. It feels like I'm like stealing. <laughs> when we've had guests on the podcast who have had on, I'm like, part of me is like, oh, it's cool. I got this book out from the library, and now I'm like bringing them on the podcast and promoting the book. This is the whole point. And part of me is like, like what do you think of the book? I'm like, good. I got it from I got it for free. I didn't give you a dime. <laughs> or like a lot of the times, like when Adam Rapp was on, he's like, "Oh, you got the new paperwork?" I'm like, yeah. He's like, "Oh, where'd you find it?" I was like, "Oh, your publisher sent it to me." <laughs> but like I said, I'm bring, I'm spreading the gospel. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. You're doing your, you know, yeah. You're selling. You at least sold at least the one that you got from the library. I've sold and probably many more. I've sold at least probably two books. <laughs> I've paid for at least maybe some. You don't nachos. think that our our audience is. No, I don't know. I, I just feel like buying a book is a bigger commitment than buying a record. Right. Um, but no, I'm sure people buy it. But yeah. I can, like I, like I, I'm just say specifically, Keith's book is really good. It's not the kind of book where you're going to sit down and like read on the toilet. You're going to have to, like, or when you're watching TV, like you're going to have to sit down and really focus on it and pay attention, but it's worth it. And if you're a millennial, you can't do that. It's, it's your fucking loss, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? The whole world is in a giant iPad. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, if you want to support this podcast, go to goingofftrack.com, leave us a dollar. Um, we'll tell you about how things were better before you were born. Uh, you can also, if you're, if you're cheap and saving your money for fucking like for loco or whatever, go to iTunes, leave us a nice review, leave us five stars, leave us a nice comment or just tweet at us, email us. If you see us on the street or go at a show, a beer. buy me a drink. I'll be at St. Vitus tonight for Weed Eater. Go listen to my Soundwag records. Yes, check out Brad's. Should be, Playdate should be out. Maybe the Goops is out by this Maybe way. the Goops is out. Check out United Nations, my band. We are playing uh, 
uh, Great Scott in Boston, June 21st, and St. Vitus, June 22nd. We've sold out Vitus the last three or four times we played there, so buy tickets. Uh, also, we'll be making an appearance in October at Gainesville Fest um, with some of my favorite bands are playing, including Dillinger 4 um, and a bunch of other cool bands. I'm not sure what's been announced, so I'm not going to say anymore, but the Fest Florida, festfl.com. Check it out. It's always a lot of fun. And yeah, thanks to Keith for coming by. By his book, Scale, and we will be back next week.